This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 194 with Andrea Owen. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 194. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Before we get started, I do want to warn you that today's episode does have explicit language in it. It's relevant to the content at hand and relevant to our guest, Andrea Owen, but I just wanted to warn you in case you wanted to listen in a more private area or maybe away from little ears. So Andrea Owen is an author, a mentor, and a certified life coach who helps high achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, and helps them in choosing courage and confidence instead. She has helped thousands of women manage their inner critic to create loving connections with their most kick-ass life. She is the proud author of 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, BS Free Wisdom to Ignite Your Inner Badass and Live the Life You Deserve, and her new second book just being released this week, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Your Happiness. When Andrea is not juggling her full-time coaching practice or hosting retreats, she is busy competing in triathlons, chasing her 10-year-old son and her 8-year-old daughter, or making out with her husband, Jason. She's also a retired roller derby player, having skated under the name Veronica Vane. I will tell you right up front that I loved this conversation. Andrea and I hit it off from the get-go, the second we got on Skype together. She's brilliant. She's sassy, which is definitely one of my favorite combinations in a guest and a combination I think that makes someone really a superstar standout guest. This episode was a highlight. I've done a ton of interviews lately, and this one really stood out to me as just someone I connected with really quickly. I felt like we would have talked for hours. I definitely like had to get online and do some stalking of her after we were done to figure out how we could connect again. I'm hoping that I will be able to be a guest on her show in the near future. 
in her podcast, Your Kick-Ass Life. And she is a superstar and a powerhouse and she's feisty and fierce. And I want you to know that you are going to hear some great, possibly hard things today, but very, very valuable. Lots of value in this conversation. So buckle up. This is not for the faint of heart, but it is a really great conversation. Listen in to hear Andrea share three things that are holding you back from happiness, why we use alcohol, food, TV, social media to numb ourselves and how to stop, the truth about gossip and why you do it, why you need to define your core values, even if you think it's a little corny, and how grief can cause regression and how to make that regression a phase and not a habit. So like I said, this was a great powerhouse of a conversation. You're going to really like it. Super high energy. Andrea and I are both fast talkers, which another reason that maybe I'm a little obsessed with her. So hold on to your pants. Let's go ahead and dive in with Andrea Owen. Andrea Owen, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here, fellow fast talker. I know. So we should just warn everyone that I felt like I found my soulmate when I listened to your podcast because I was like, here's someone who talks as fast as I do. So everyone else might need to slow down to go to like half speed on this episode to keep up. <laughs> we half might be flying. Thinks people sound drunk. So that might be funny too. <laughs> right, right, right. It does. Totally, totally. <laughs> so I'm so excited to have you here because I love your content. I love that you are like super high energy, rapid fire on top of things, really inspirational, high quality content, like all the things that I love to think that I'm doing as well. But you've been doing it for longer than me. So how long have you had your podcast? So I've had the podcast since 2013. I think I started it. And it's funny how it was born. I was writing my first book at the time and could not write another blog post to save my life. And so I'm like, I'm just going to talk into this microphone. And that's how it started. I had no strategy. It just was born that way. Amazing. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. But so fun. Like, so now that I'm almost two years into my show and it's like become such a part of your identity and it's so cool. Yeah, it is. It's a fun thing. Let's go ahead and dive in and tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. And what are you most excited about right now? Well, I think the most obvious thing is that I have this second book coming out. And beyond even that, I think that I'm the kind of person, and I'm sure a lot of your people listening to who are in personal development, I'm the kind of person when I come up on one of my edges, you know, something I need to work on, I get excited about it. Of course, it's uncomfortable and ah, but I am excited to work on my upper limit stuff because definitely it's come up. I don't know if it's come up in your life, but I love that. Cow. Explain to listeners what upper limit stuff means because okay. I'm familiar with it, but I'm not sure all of our listeners are. The term comes from, I'm not sure if he even coined it, but the author, Gay Hendricks, who wrote the book, The Big Leap. And it's a short little read for anyone who's interested, but he talks about this and his theory is that everyone has a set point of success that they are the most comfortable with. And when we are met with anything that might go above that, you know, like writing a book or starting a podcast or passing a certain amount of downloads on the podcast or anything like that, starting a business. And even in your personal life, you know, getting into a new relationship and getting a promotion at work, we tend to do things like self-sabotage or some people get really sick or some people just, we can't handle it. <laughs> and right. so what we tend to do also is just not 
walk into it and either poo-poo the success, you know, not tell anybody about it or really do something to mess it all up. And I knew that it was coming. So I experienced it with my first book. I was sort of, you know, you get catapulted into this spotlight and my audience grew and it completely freaked me out. And then the good news is, is that with this one, I knew it was coming. I, you know, because I experienced it before. I was like, it's kind of like childbirth, you know, like people kind of tell you about it, but you don't know what it's like until you've experienced it. So then when you have your second kid, you're like, okay, I'm ready. (laughs) I'm mostly ready. And you can anticipate things. And that's really how it's been for this book is I knew what it was and I knew how I had sabotaged myself the first time. And so I gave myself the invitation and challenge to not sabotage myself and really step up into this. And it's been exciting and terrifying at the same time. So yeah, that's what that's looked like. Oh, that's so cool. I appreciate your explanation of upper limit problems. Because I think that's something that we all struggle with. And I love the the idea of anticipating hitting that edge, so that Mm. you can be prepared to push through it. I think that's really cool. Before we talk more about the book, I do want to learn a little bit more about your life in motherhood, since you're talking to a lot of shameless moms. And (laughs) I know you're a shameless mom. So go ahead and tell us about your mom situation. So that's a loaded question. My mom situation. (laughs) I am a mom of two. My son is 10 and my daughter is eight. And they are in, I always forget this. I know I'm not the only mom that does this. I'm like, what grade are you in again? (laughs) I only have two. I can't imagine people that have more than that. They are in fourth and second grade. And yeah, I hit the jackpot with these kids. They're not a-holes, you know, like (laughs) they get along. They actually get along. And they're awesome. My son was diagnosed with high functioning autism anxiety disorder and sensory processing disorder when he was five. I think he was five. Mm -hmm. And that was a bit of a bumpy road there, to put it mildly. But we turned a corner. uh, Let's see. I think it was the summer after second grade. Second grade was our worst year for him. Everything kind of fell apart. And we changed his diet. And I was a real big skeptic of that. And we did. We tried it. He was on board and everything changed. And it was a couple of variables. We're not sure if it was just maturity. We're not sure if if it was because he had way better teacher in third grade or if it was pulling, you know, gluten out of his diet. But he has since been thriving. And yeah, they're just really great kids. I'm super lucky. Oh, that's so fantastic. And oh my gosh, what a gift to be able to turn that corner because I'm sure there was a lot of scary and stressful moments leading up to that where you felt like maybe that wouldn't happen. Yeah, it was rough. And like the one thing too, that I want to add about that I don't think it's talked about a lot is I'm in this like Facebook group for parents of autistic kids. It's in our state of North Carolina. And this woman was posting who had just gotten the diagnosis about her son. And I I believe he was a toddler. He was only like two or three. And she was saying that her husband was having a harder time with it. And I commented and I said, you know what? give him time to grieve. Because I think that when you get that diagnosis as a parent, we are bombarded with all of the resources because early intervention is key. And I totally believe that. But it's like your to-do list gets huge of all of the doctors you need to call and the new diets and the resources and the nonprofit organizations that can help you in the classes and the IEPs and the school districts. And it's so overwhelming. And I felt like, give me five hot minutes to grieve Mm -hmm. over this because I was also met with, oh, but he's still the same kid. Oh, well, at least he's verbal, which is like, screw you. You 
don't give me the at least. Right. I understand that. Right. And people are trying to be helpful, but for anyone out there who has received a diagnosis like that or, you know, or anything, you know, about your kid, like take a moment to grieve if you need it. I think yeah. we all need it. And it's the thing that doesn't get talked about enough. Right. Have you seen the show or heard of the show Atypical? I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it. So we watched it and the son, I can't remember how old he is. He's like maybe 13, 14. So he's on the autism spectrum in normal school, like regular school. And the reason I bring it up is that it talks about the parents. So it's like a scripted show. Sorry, it's not a reality show. (laughs) It's a scripted show is what I'm getting at. So it's fictional. But what I was interested in, in relation to what you just said, is that the parents, it does touch on how the parents manage the diagnosis very differently over time. And so over the course of the season, they kind of take you back to different times where like the mom is like, you know, when she found out, she like went all in on figuring this all out. And how are we going to change our life to accommodate this? And the dad took much longer and had a much harder time to connecting. And I I think exactly what you were just saying, this process of grieving that like, this isn't going to be the child that I thought probably. Mm -hmm. And so like, how do you wrap your head around that? And it's a long process. And it's going to be different for everyone in terms of how they are able to manage that and work through that. It was really interesting, too, when I would tell people that I was feeling sad about it and scared. And I was met with people who had not been through what I was going through. And people were telling me like to be strong and, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. He's the same kid. And I was like, this is weird. Like people don't know how to respond to this. So I just quit. I quit talking to people about it who I didn't trust, really, who didn't deserve to hear all about that. Right. So we went through, everyone on the podcast has heard me talk about this at length, so I won't dive into it, but we've gone through a lot of infertility stuff. And it's the same thing. Like the people who can't relate to that, they don't know what to say. And they're really uncomfortable with your discomfort. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about it so much that I'm not at all uncomfortable with it, but people still are like a little tiptoey at times. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's fine. Like, what? What, what do you want to know? Like, what, you can't hurt my feelings. Like, I'm totally good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's when you're in the thick of it, oh, it's a different story. Totally. Totally. Yes. Yes. Definitely. So, okay. Obviously, you're a very shameless mom. I mean, I think all moms are shameless in different ways, but I'm sure in the process of having to be an advocate for your child to make sure that their needs are getting met if they are not being met in a, you know, in a typical school system and through all the typical ways that children's needs are met, I'm sure you have had to become a little more shameless than some other moms. And so I I acknowledge you for that because I'm sure you've put in some really hard work. So I really appreciate you sharing that part. What I'd love to talk about now is a little bit more about the book and what prompted the book, what inspired the book and all those good things. What prompted the book was in 2014, I went to San Antonio and got certified with Brene Brown and her senior faculty. If anyone's not familiar with her, she is a shame researcher who has spent her, dedicated her professional life to academia, studying shame, vulnerability, courage, and authenticity, among some other things, connection as well. And I was really intrigued when she decided to roll out this certification for coaches and therapists and social workers. And I brought it home and was doing the work and was noticing over and over that my clients were struggling in the areas of what Brene refers to as armor. And in her research and in her book, Daring Greatly, she talks mostly about three of these behaviors. It's uh, perfectionism, what she calls foreboding joy, what I call catastrophizing, and also numbing out. 
And what I noticed is that there were a lot more. (laughs) And when we say armor, it's these behaviors or habits that we do as women that we feel like, and we do them because we think that they're going to protect us from shame and judgment and criticism and failure. But really at the end of the day, what they end up doing, and when I would describe them to my clients, these are the things that work until they don't, you know, they work for a little while. I mean, overachieving as a behavior gets you the promotion and gets you the raises and gets you the honors accolades in college. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. But as time goes on and as the decades go on and we keep doing these behaviors over and over again, they end up making us feel like shit. And that's how the title of the book was born. And I listed them all out and looked at all of the behaviors and I came up with 14 of them. And that's how the book was born. It's just because I kept seeing these behaviors, not just in my clients, but in myself too, Sarah. Like, I want to make really clear too, every time I talk about the book, this isn't a book about here are the 14 things you're doing wrong in your life. You need to fix them. (laughs) This is a book that says, here are the 14 things that we all do. Most women do. Like, I don't think there's a woman who could pick up this book and say, I don't do any of these. Like, you're going to find like a handful that you do a lot. But it's like, here's the things that we all do, like that we have learned how to cope with life by doing these things that have worked a little bit, but they're exhausting and they're making us feel like crap. Let's pick new solutions that actually make us feel proud of who we are and are more in alignment with our values. I love that. And I think that's so important. And I totally agree that like none of us are immune to these things. No, I'm not. (laughs) Right, right. Well, something that's fascinating to me is like the higher I get in my career in terms of like working with high level people and meeting high level people in terms of like people who I used to look up to as mentors. And now I sometimes feel like they're more like colleagues, which is really cool and exciting. But all the more I'm like, oh, like no one really has their act together. No one really knows exactly what they're doing. And like no one is really on a pedestal. It's only like my insecurities that put someone else on a pedestal. Like everyone has there, like you said, everyone probably is on some level can relate to most of the 14 habits that are holding them back. I work with really high achieving women. I mean, these women make multiple six figures are successful. And I'm with you. I stopped putting people on pedestals a few years ago when I realized that people were putting me on a pedestal. And I'm like, y'all, I do not have this all figured out. Like I'm on the same path as you are. I might just be in a different place on the path that you are. So, you know, I just have more awareness around it and write books about it. Yeah. <laughs> I still have to do the same tools that you do, wear the same clothes you do. Right. So yeah, I stopped putting people on pedestals a long time ago. We're and then all you the can't same. be disappointed because I've been disappointed by a few mentors mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, like you're not just totally all magic all the time. Oh, you're just a mortal like me. <laughs> right. Damn it. I wanted you to be perfect. <laughs> exactly. 
So we do need to back up for just a minute and talk about hanging out with Brene Brown. So was she actually running the course herself? And were you like actually just hanging out with Brene Brown all the time? We weren't hanging out. Like we weren't like texting and like, you know, but (laughs) since then she doesn't go to those trainings anymore, which I think is so sad for the people that are doing the training now. But yes, so that was like only the second or third time they had run the training and she was there. She was there teaching and lecturing and answering questions. But then we did break up into small groups for the majority of the training. And it's her senior faculty, which taught us. We were in groups of 12, which was a lot easier since that training, holy crap, that training was at the same time we were learning how to facilitate it and go through the training ourselves, which I think they did that on purpose just to see how tough we really were. Yeah to flip back and forth as facilitator and participant. And yeah, she's amazing. She's the same in person as she is online. And she's funny and goofy. And she's just great. Oh, which is this is like how people stay on pedestals is they show up in the same way in every place. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, like you are amazing. But she also is open about being vulnerable and imperfect. So Mm -hmm. That counts for something. So can you give us some specific examples of a few of the 14 habits just for us to get a sense of things that might be holding us back? Yeah. And it's so interesting when I get asked this question, as I talk about this book more and more, I think about the audience that I'm talking to and it's usually the same, you know, I'm always talking to women. And so for moms, I let me close my eyes and think for a minute. I think that it is probably, I'm going to point to control is probably one that the women struggle with the most in this audience. And what that might look like is, you know, micromanaging, wanting an itinerary for everything. Like, give me a syllabus. Yes, yes. <laughs> I can read it and check it off. Uncertainty is our enemy. We don't like to not know how things are going to go. And to live is to be uncertain, right? So control is one that I think women, your audience probably struggles with the most. Yeah. I would also guess isolating and hiding out. I think that it's tricky when we get to the age where statistically many of us are having babies, we're out of the college age, you know, where all of our friendships are built in and we may be moved because we got married or whatever. And we tend to not have the same built in easy friendships that we did before. So female friendships can be, I don't want to say it's difficult, but you have to be intentional about it. Mm -hmm. And that gets put as last priority when you have toddlers or just children in general, because it's just not a priority. So when stuff gets hard in your life, which is going to happen, struggles happen, you know, partnerships break down, you lose your identity as a, maybe you were a career woman before and now you're not, and you're struggling with that. Parents get sick, you know, life just happens. And what we tend to do is instead of reaching out, we think to ourselves like, well, Sarah's probably too busy to hear this. So I'm not going to call her, or maybe I'll right. call her on Friday. Right. Or you're too embarrassed to tell somebody because you're making up that they don't have the kind of problems that you do. Or again, you, you just feel like you can muscle through it. And that isolation, it's from shame is what it is, but it breeds more of the other behaviors because it's so lonely. It's so lonely to be there. And as Brene teaches us, we are built for connection. That's why we are here. So that's probably another one that I would say your audience struggles with. And I would throw in like a side of people pleasing maybe and perfectionism. Oh, totally. And numbing. One oh, more. Numbing. Just a few more. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk a little bit? I'm actually really intrigued by numbing because I definitely see how different people do this. I know how I do it. And I've given the example before of in my mid-20s, I was living with two roommates and 
one of the roommates came home one day and I was standing in this corner of the kitchen eating, like facing into a corner. And he comes in the kitchen. He's like, there's Sarah eating in her secret corner or something. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, like sometimes I just come home and you're like standing in this corner looking at the wall eating. He's like, I think it's your secret eating corner. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was totally my mindless eating corner. So like I would get home at the end of the day and I was in school and working full time. I would get home at the end of the day and I would stand there with a box of wheat thins and a thing of cream cheese, which by the way is an amazing snack. And I would just like totally like zone out and just mindlessly. And it was like the most comforting thing to me. And so when he pointed out that I was doing it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally like a secret eater in the corner of the kitchen. Like I, what? <laughs> so what do you see moms doing or women doing in terms of different numbing behaviors and any suggestions around workarounds? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So numbing is a big spectrum. It can be, and I like that you used the word mindless eating. That's the same term that I use because there's also binge eating, which can be an addiction and very much is so. But I'm with you. I've never been a binge eater. I've been an alcoholic and I can talk about that too. But food was never the thing that I would binge on. I don't even binge on shows. My husband does that. But no, I'm good with like one Stranger Things episode a night. And and then I have something to look forward to the next day. But the mindless eating is different. And I think that that is also really common. I think for moms, the internet I think can be a really big addiction. And that's also been coined as the term shadow addictions. There's another term that I forget what what people call it. It's a thing where it might not be classified by the DSM as an addiction, but it is definitely something that our brain, you know, the neural pathways have been created Mm -hmm. to, we get that dopamine hit when we are scrolling through Facebook or checking our notifications or anything, you know, on the internet. And We do that, I I think, because we are overwhelmed, because we are lonely, because we are, I think those are probably the two biggest things. We are overwhelmed, we are tired, and we are lonely. And it's just, it's that thing that we don't sometimes even know that we're doing it. I think that some, don't get me started on how our culture has just glorified how it's, you know, okay to like day drink and just like be the drunk mom. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't mean to be a buzzkill, but I'm gonna be. No, please do. I think this alcohol is actually a, abuse. I'm really intrigued it. by this topic. So it's just alcohol abuse in women is on the rise. And mm-hmm. it has been for a while. Yeah. It is not on the rise for men. DUIs have been on the rise for women the last decade, and they have not been for men. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are very large companies that make a lot of money that are run by men who are purposely creating advertising for especially mothers, I think, to drink. And it's a huge problem. It is a huge problem. You'd be astounded at the amount of emails that I get from mothers who say, and and, hey, anybody listening who thinks you might have a problem with alcohol, feel free to reach out to us. And I personally was one of those moms who had two toddlers at home who was struggling with grief from the disaster that was my first marriage that was giving up my identity as a working mother and staying home and realizing that I wasn't fulfilled being a stay-at-home mom. I thought it was going to be the dream come true Mm -hmm. that I always wanted, and I didn't love it. It didn't say anything about my love for my children. I just, I didn't like the job of being a stay-at-home mom. And that was a horrible feeling and a horrible, I felt, I had so much shame around admitting that. And I was drinking and I, you know, and I had all these rules around it and I was drinking to escape from my life. I could not bear all of the feelings that I had shoved into and there's a reason they call it baggage. Mm-hmm. I had carried around my baggage for years and didn't want to deal with any of it. 
and tried to engineer my life to look a certain way. And I was getting really, really tired and drinking worked for a little while until it didn't. I think drinking is a big one. I think shopping is a big one, just spending in general. I think the majority of it is because we deal because we're trying to cope. We're trying to cope yeah. with life and we don't have any coping skills because no one ever taught us. Right, right. <laughs> so let's just numb it all out and just like shove it under the rug and hopefully it'll go away. Oh my gosh. You mentioned so many things in there that I think I so agree with. I had actually a very similar experience with being a stay-at-home mom for a very short time. And being a stay-at-home mom had been like my life dream. And <laughs> too. Like I couldn't imagine anything better than like just cuddling with a baby all day. And by the time he was born, I currently own a gym and I own the gym. And so I was like, I'm going to get it all set up so other people can run it and I can take as much time with him as I want. And then once I want to start working again, I can run everything from home and it'll be great. And it was like totally the opposite of great and magical. And it sucked because he had all these problems with nursing and I had problems with milk supply and it was just miserable. And I finally said to my husband, I was like, I'm going to become an alcoholic if I have to stay home with him, because that's what I would think of. I didn't actually day drink, but I thought if I have to do this forever, I will. Like, I won't know how to get through the day because this is not what I thought it was going to be. And I didn't feel like I was fulfilling the purpose I thought I would be fulfilling. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like I could just see myself instead of like, I had already been like, instead of having a drink when my husband gets home at six, I'm going to have one while I'm waiting for him at five. And I was like, this yeah. is really quickly going to be like, well, maybe I'll just have it at four. And I could see where it would be like, oh, I'll just have it at lunch. You know, like that would not be a huge leap because I was just not living the life that I thought I had always wanted. Like it was so disappointing to me. And that felt like such a huge failure to be like, oh, actually, I kind of do want to put my kid in childcare. Yeah. So yeah, I can totally relate to that. So that's such an interesting topic. And I actually have had women reach out to me. I had a woman, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast, but I had a woman. So I mentioned alcohol on my website in my About Me page. And I have this one little reference that says wine makes everything better. And this woman emailed me. And in her email, I could tell she'd never listened to the podcast, but she emailed me talking about how I'm promoting alcoholism on my website. And I got it. And I was like, who is this woman? Like she's never listened to my podcast Mm -hmm. So she doesn't even know like the integrity that I stand in and she doesn't know like the purpose that I'm serving in the world. And so I was like immediately like offended and very defensive about it. But I've been thinking about it. This was like over a year ago now that I got the email and I was like, well, first of all, I'm not taking that down because I'm not going to give her the satisfaction, right. but <laughs> I've been thinking about it and been thinking about like, that certainly isn't what I want anyone's first impression of me to be is that my first core belief is that wine makes everything better. And it's not listed as the first thing on that page anyways, but it made me really think about how I present. And so I actually talk way less about alcohol than I used to. Like it used to be mm -hmm. way more about like wine me and wine time and like all those kinds of things when I was posting like dinnertime hashtags and whatever. And now I'm like, no, like it doesn't need to be all about that. My friends know that I love yeah. a glass of wine, but that doesn't need to be the image that I'm projecting because I totally agree with you. It just contributes to this idea that it's a reasonable and acceptable coping skill. Yeah. And there are definitely people out there who don't have a problem with it and who can have one drink, you know, once every couple of days and they're totally fine. But then there are a lot of us who can't. And I think that the misconception yeah. is because what we see in the media is the show intervention and, you know, these women who get or even like the real housewives like there are some like winos oh my gosh <laughs> totally totally and they're like also offended when anyone brings up alcoholism and I'm like it's like really glaringly obvious yeah I can't even watch it it makes me really uncomfortable but the majority of us are the women who are 
drinking because we're bored, you know, and that's the way it looked like for me, like what that story that you said, you know, like you would wait until a certain amount of time and knew right. that it was going to start earlier and earlier. I had a rule that so this was back when Oprah still had her show, like at four o'clock, that's when I would pour my first glass and I'd have a couple of glasses of wine. And then when my husband would pull into the driveway at like 515, I would put my glass in the dishwasher, wait like 20 minutes after he got home and then pull a new glass out and like pretend like I was having my first glass of wine for the night. So it was things like that that I was doing where it didn't start out that way. Right. It's slowly women and alcoholism is that the progression is faster in women than it is men. And scientists aren't really sure why they think it's something to do with oh. the way that we metabolize sugar. But I saw that happening in me very quickly. It was going downhill fast. And I remember the first time I drank an entire bottle of wine in a night and it was like on a Tuesday by myself. It wasn't, you know, New Year's Eve or something. Right. That was like my huge indicator. Like this is probably a problem and I needed to look at it. So yeah. I did. Yeah. So in the book, you talk about these 14 habits. What kind of alternatives do you offer for things like, let's just keep going with numbing out. And if you mm -hmm. want to keep going with the alcohol route, you can. But what kind of alternatives do you want to offer to women so that we are, first of all, more aware of our own behaviors, and then also like making trades and hopefully upgrades on our behaviors? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that and this can go with most of the behaviors. And I, I talk about two main things a lot in the book, and that's reaching out to people and sharing your struggles with the appropriate people. And then also knowing what your values are. And values are, I'll, I'll start with values, because values are the thing that's kind of like, kind of unsexy. And it's like, values, like, oh, that sounds boring. That sounds something that we would do at like a corporate training. Right. Because I used to think the same thing. I was like, eye roll when we were learning about it in coach right. training. But it's amazing. And the thing is, is this is not just about the big question I always ask is what's important about the way you live your life. And really only 5% of the work is naming what those values are. So what might come up for you right away is okay, honesty and integrity. So what I want to know what the most important part is, what does that look like in your everyday life? So when something happens, so for instance, if you are at a PTA meeting and some of the moms are gossiping about another mom whose you know, husband is having an affair or something like that, and you have a value around kindness and honesty and integrity and they're gossiping about your friend, what are you going to do in that moment? Mm -hmm. Because both outcomes suck. <laughs> if you do nothing and say nothing, that's going to feel like crap. And then if you do have to speak up with kindness and compassion and say something to those people, that sucks too because that's vulnerable and takes a lot of courage and they might get defensive. And, you know, who knows, again, there's that uncertainty, right? <laughs> that nobody likes, right? So it's things like that, like our everyday scenarios, where we have to actually honor our values. That is the hard part. And that's where the real work comes in. Hey, there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. 
I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. That's a really good point. And even defining values, I've actually gone through an exercise to do this before. It's really hard. And especially because I think the important part of defining values is really narrowing it down to like just a couple. And I did an exercise where we were given like, I think we were given like 60 values and we had to narrow it down to like our top five. And I was literally crying. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't. And it's like choosing between children. I don't make yeah. people do that. Like you can oh. have as many as you want, but if you're going to do that exercise with me, I'm going to ask you, what are your top two or three that really get you through the day right. when things go awry? Because then so you can you constantly go away. Yeah. That's what values are you going to lean on when things go really bad? Right. And they have to be, I think the value in narrowing it down is that then they're top of mind if there's only two or three so that you have exactly. that like security of being able to go back really quickly and not thinking like, okay, hold on. I have 14 values. And for me, right. For me, that was really valuable, even though I had to like cry my way through it and basically have like therapy in a situation with like 40 other women to figure out like how I could eliminate the sixth one. Right. But it's really interesting. And there's a million different ways, you know, to determine values. And sometimes, I mean, like you can just literally Google like list of values or even Danielle Laporte's core desired feelings list Mm -hmm. to start to like identify like, oh yeah, these are the things that are really important because then it does become so clear. Actually, integrity is one of mine and that makes it way more easy. I actually had a girlfriend recently trying to like get a little gossipy with me and I was like, no, I'm like going to stay in integrity and I'm not going to. So she was talking about a person. I was like, oh, I just feel really bad for that person. She's like, yeah, this isn't really where I wanted this conversation to go. Like I thought you were going to like want to like give me some juice on the situation and like be like a little judgy. And I was like, no, I just like feel bad for the person that we were talking about. And she's like, oh, hmm, that's kind of boring. <laughs> but for me, it was like gossip really good is practice. A way, yeah, that is. And it's hard. And gossip is a way I think that we try to hotwire connections with each other. Mm-hmm. And I've done it before. I had to. Oh, my God, it was awful. I did it. I was a speaker at Soul Camp, which is like this grown up camp for personal development. And I had just met this woman who I thought was really awesome. And we totally got along and had chemistry. And then it was like the stall in conversation. And I knew a piece of information about somebody that was a mutual friend. And I said it out loud. And immediately when I said it, I was like, oh my God, I knew what I was doing. So I had to circle back and then apologize to her later. And it was fine. But think that we do that because we want to connect with people. We just, sometimes we just don't know what to say and silence is uncomfortable for us. So that's how we do it. And oh yeah, I've been guilty of it too. Yeah. And when you start catching yourself, it's like, your point is 
spot on that you're like, well, what am I going to say? And you're like, I want to tell this story. Or I want to like share this experience. And then when you realize like that maybe wouldn't be an integrity or that would be gossipy or whatever, then you're like, okay, what do I say instead? Shoot. Like you're like, hmm, so I'm glad the sun is out today. <laughs> like you literally cannot think of anything else to say because all you're thinking is like, don't say the gossip. Don't say the Talking gossip. about other people. Right. Ugh, yeah. Right. So I know that when you were in the middle of the book, you had your own personal crisis. How did that change things for you? And tell us a little bit about that. So I was about 60 or 70% of the way through writing my manuscript and my dad got sick and died suddenly. He was sick. Let's see. We went on, he got sick. We were scheduled to go on a Disney cruise, which I mean, if anyone's ever been on one, like, you know, that it's not something you can just like cancel right. <laughs> quickly. <laughs> my stepmom told us to go anyway. And when we came back, we found out he had leukemia, a rare form of leukemia actually. And he didn't have that much longer. I flew back home across the country to see him. And I knew he did not have much longer at all. And he was dead two weeks later, oh less than a week. Yeah. Something gosh. like that. And I was with him when he died. It was just he and I, my siblings chose to not be there. And my stepmom had just left to go home and get some rest. Her health, it wasn't that great at the time either. And yeah, I watched my dad die. And then I had to go home and finish writing my self-help book. <laughs> I was like, are Holy you kidding cow. Me? <laughs> I asked for an extension. I asked for a six-month extension. They gave me three weeks. <gasps> yeah, it's publishing. <laughs> wow. And they probably were like, so I had they probably three... thought three weeks was generous. Like, we would love to meet you halfway. <laughs> How about three weeks? No, they honestly, like, I think that they believed in me that much. Okay. And they had seen most of the manuscript and just, I had to figure it out. And I did. And what ended up happening was kind of interesting is because here I am writing about all of these behaviors and habits that we do when life gets really hard. And here I'm faced with the ultimate losing one of my parents. And I was like, am I going to eat my words? And I did a little bit, you know, I went back into some of those behaviors. I drove to the mall the day that I found out he was terminal and spent entirely too much money on a dress and a pair of shoes for his funeral. Cause I couldn't imagine not having this perfect outfit. So, you know, there I was backing into perfectionism and, and numbing out and I lashed out at some people and I isolated. There was like three days where I didn't even leave my bedroom and just didn't return any texts or told everybody to leave me alone. And the point that I tell that story is, is that sometimes it's okay. And also the point is that I knew that I was doing them. And I had enough self-trust that I knew I was going to be okay on the other end. I knew that this is what I needed to go through in order to grieve, in order to go through this thing that I had never been through before. Right. And so it's sort of weird when you write self-help because you become like a narrator in your own life. Like it's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like outside of yourself narrating like Morgan Freeman's like talking in the background or something, but it really sort of was ironic that I had to walk my talk. And I think it was a gift in all of it. And I'm very sad that he's not going to be there in San Diego when I go stop at the Barnes Noble and have my book reading and everything. But yeah, it really threw a wrench in things. That's for sure. Oh my gosh. First of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I also, I feel like that's how the universe works. Like <laughs> That like you have to be faced with these kinds of things when you preach these kinds of things and you have to have these opportunities to practice and like walk through it all. And then it allows you to help other people through the process later. But when you're in the middle of it, you can't be like, Oh, I'm so grateful for this experience. This will be so valuable down the road. <laughs> like, no, that's not where you're at. 
I spent like the first month when I came back just like writing like really dark poetry about my father and mostly was the grief. And I was really worried that I would drink again, you know, because at that point I had just yeah. celebrated my 60 year. I'd always wondered that, you know, like would I ever drink if something really hard happened? And there was one time where I was unloading the dishwasher. I was home alone because I work from home and I got hit with a wave of grief. If anyone's out there is listening who's ever lost someone, you know that it doesn't have a rhyme or reason. You know, I thought it was going to be like on my birthday or right. you know, these really hard days. It just comes out of nowhere. And that happened. And I was like on the kitchen floor crying and had that thought, like I could so easily drink an entire bottle of wine right now and this would all go away. Yeah. And I reached out to people who I know care about me and just for accountability. But yeah, it was really interesting to l use my tools and have a lot of self-compassion because I yeah. did not do it perfectly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can totally see how it's like grieving is not linear. And no, one of the things really. that I've noticed... <laughs> And it would be so much easier if it was because you could be like, oh, now I'm on day eight. So like day nine is definitely better than day eight. But that's not how it works. Like day eight might be OK. And day 78 might be the day that really, really sucks. Mm -hmm. And we went through that when we did our round of IVF last year and it failed. And we were like, OK, we're done trying for a second child. And we're done. Like this will be the end of our road with me being pregnant, at least if we're going to have more kids. And at the end of that, I kept thinking like, we got a month out from that. And I was like, I think I'm better now. But then like three months out from it, I was like a mess. And then wow. even six months out, I was like, I think we're okay. But then seven months out, total mess. Like, it's so crazy. You can't predict it. And so now like we're coming up on like a year and four months out or something. And for like a few weeks, I've been like, I really think I'm good now. But I'm like, wait, just wait. Like something, it'll be like two months from now. I'll be like, nope, <laughs> not good. <laughs> so. Well, I got the word surrender tattooed on my arm after he died because really of what you described, because I kept surrender's always been a fascinating topic for me. And when he died, it was like that, you know, I was always kind of like bracing myself, like, is, am I going to wake up today? And it's going to be a, a hard day. Am I going to see this person? And it's going to be hard. And I just, I'm like, you know what? I'm so tired of trying to anticipate it. It's the control yeah, for me. Control yeah. is one of my hardest behaviors right. to get through. And I just, I'm like, what if I just let it all go? And if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it comes, I'm going to be prepared for it as best I can. And that's how what surrender looks like for me. And it's a lot easier. And it passes faster. Because right. if I'm bracing myself for it, and I'm like, oh my God, here it comes. And it seems to hurt more. And yeah. it seems to stay around longer. Yeah, that makes sense. So tell us how motherhood has impacted your journey and your writing and the work that you do with women. I think it's impacted me in so many ways. I mean, where do I even begin with this? I think <laughs> the universe has a sense of humor because it gave me entrepreneurship and motherhood at the same time. Okay. And so I was actually wondering how they lined up. That's so interesting. Yeah, same time. Okay. I've really had to check myself with the envy I have for people who built a business before their children mm -hmm. were born. <laughs> that was not my experience. Yeah. Yeah. That looks real pretty I, from the outside. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it's so cute for you. Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> that was not my experience. No. My son was, well, I was pregnant with my first when I started my life coach training. And then so, so through all of that, and I went back to college to finish my bachelor's degree in exercise physiology. And I was pregnant with my daughter, my second one, when I graduated that from Cal State University, San Marcos. And then I launched Your Kick-Ass Life when my son had just turned three and my daughter had just turned one. Oh my so gosh. Two babies. And I was still nursing my daughter. I nursed her for two and a half years. So I had a nursling and a toddler. And, you know, there's definitely been times where 
you know, as we are reaching this point, and a lot of millennials and who are choosing not to have children, it's becoming more and more normal where we're seeing a lot of women who are choosing not to. And I think that's amazing that we are now finally in a place where it's not so taboo. Like it still mm-hmm. is. We still have a lot of work to do. And my very best friend in the whole world is child-free by choice, her and her husband. And I was talking to my mom about it one time, and she was asking me about Amy and how they chose not to have children. And there was a pause on the phone, and my mom goes, you know, I can understand how women would want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it didn't totally. make me feel bad because I totally get it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I do too. I think it is, God, motherhood is not for everyone, right? Right. But I've always been that person. Like I always knew I was going to be a mother. And I think that what it has given me is I have had to learn how to be patient because I'm not a patient person. And I have had to learn patience. It has humbled me like no other. I have had to really, truly admit that I don't know what I'm doing. And I apologize to my children on a regular basis. And also one of the things that I'm doing differently, and I know this is kind of the question that you asked, but it's kind of what's coming up intuitively is the one thing that I feel like is so important. And this is how I was raised differently that I'm teaching my children that I was never taught is that what I teach my children is you're allowed to feel whatever you feel, but what you're responsible for is your behavior. Mm -hmm. So I was always taught like, let's not show those hard feelings (laughs) and we're not going to talk about it because we don't have the language for that. So go do that in your room by yourself and come out when you have a better attitude. Yeah. But I'm teaching my children, like, you know, look, if you're angry with me, you're allowed to be angry with me, but you are responsible for how you treat me and other people in this family. So, and that's because that's the work I do in the world. So that's been really interesting. And I mean, motherhood has taught me that I have to let go. And that is hard because I like to have a grip on things. Mm -hmm. Me too. (laughs) A lot of the things that you just mentioned ring true for me. Patience, humility, (laughs) control. (laughs) Yeah. can definitely relate to a few of those. (laughs) In what ways are you a shameless mom? I think I hesitate because I know you have a different meaning because like shameless, I'm like, well, everybody has shame, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, I talk about it a lot. But I think that I have hard conversations. And I can now go about them in a way that I used to do that differently. So for example, if I had to talk to another parent about how they're treating my children, I would get angry, and very assertive and direct and not very nice. And now I can have a conversation where I can still be kind about it and firm. And I answer that question that way because I think that before I wouldn't have even had the conversation. So like there was either like two modes. It was either I would people please and like not have the conversation at all because I didn't want it to be uncomfortable and I didn't want to rock any boats. I, I wanted everybody to like me or I would like wait until it was really bad and then explode and right and have no problems. So I think that's one way I'm a shameless mom where I don't people please anymore. Like, and even if it's not about my kids, if it's about something else, like I will have that hard conversation. I stopped myself because I said, I'm not afraid to, I am still afraid to do it. <laughs> I don't That's, know if that yeah. ever goes away. That's interesting. I just do it anyway. Yeah. I'm afraid of a lot of things. Yeah. I'm afraid of conflict so and confrontation, yeah. but also I totally agree that like, I mean, for me, it's important. It's like an integrity to be an advocate for my child and for myself and those kinds of things. So sometimes that requires some uncomfortable things. Sure. Yeah. That goes back to values and how you want to live your life. And 
That's why I wanted to say this when we were talking about value. So I'm going to circle back. That's why my most important value is courage because courage encompasses pretty much everything. Courage encompasses authenticity. It encompasses integrity and honesty and kindness and compassion and all of these other things because you can't do all of those other things if you aren't thinking about and practicing courage. So yeah, those hard conversations, courageous, still afraid. (laughs) Afraid courage. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Oh, this has been so great, Andrea. I really appreciate you spending time with us today. I do want to hop over to our shameless mommy minute moment yeah. in just a second. But first, tell us where we can find you, where we can find the book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness. So at this point, it's already in bookstores. And Yay, also- congratulations. Um, of, course, of course, online. And it's actually at the front table in Barnes & Nobles the first two weeks of January. So if people are listening to it, okay. then they can find it at the front tables at Barnes & Noble. And also on my website, I have a free class that's coming up. It's a free book study because I know a lot of people out there probably buy self-help books and don't read them or (laughs) half read them. I've done that. So I'm offering a free book study where I'm guiding people through the book and I always curate a really awesome community of women. So that's at yourkickasslife.com slash HTSFLS, which is an acronym for the book. Oh, cool. Okay. I will make sure that I have that in the show notes. Is that different? Because I also have the link yourkickasslife.com slash free. Is that a different link? Yeah, they're both, either one, either one will take them to the same place. Okay. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I had my things lined up. So this episode is episode 194. So anyone wanting to click on those links, if you didn't get to catch them and write them down as we were saying them, you can go to shamelessmom.com and click on episode 194. And let's go ahead and do our shameless mommy minute. So here we go. What is your favorite way to treat yourself? Probably my hair. I spend a lot of money on my hair. (laughs) Nice. Your hair looks gorgeous. I was sent a few photos to choose for this episode and you have amazing hair. It's all about the right tools and the right products and the right stylist. So yeah, combination. Current book that you're reading or the last one that you read? Oh my God. I'm reading Stephen King's It and I've never read it before. That mother is 1100 pages (gasps) halfway. Like, is it gripping? It's for being as long as it is. I wasn't sure. Like, yes, it is good and it's scary and it's, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Noted. I have not read any Stephen King because I don't like scary things, but that's intriguing to me. What is one morning ritual you can't live without? Would it be really cliche if I said coffee? I'm not going to say coffee, but it is. I cannot live without is writing down my gratitudes and my goals for the day. Oh, I love that. Who is your biggest inspiration? I don't have like, again, this goes back to that conversation of like, I don't put people on pedestals anymore, but Mm. I love any woman who is an activist and speaking out for what she believes in loudly and without shame. Like those women, like I just can't, like that just makes my heart explode. I love that. that. That's That's such a great answer. I love that. And if you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? It would probably be courage because again, like I was ranting about a few minutes ago, I think that it encompasses so many different things that would change women's lives. They would be able to let go of people pleasing and perfectionism and control and all of those things that are, that I talk about in my book. So yeah, courage. Awesome. I love it. Well, Andreas, thank you so much for spending time with us in the Shameless Mom Academy. And I just want to acknowledge you and honor you for all the work that you're putting out into the world and everything that you've shared today. You shared so much that I know my moms are going to be able to learn from and grow from. And especially the things that you shared around 
numbing out. I just feel like you touched on a number of things, including alcohol or things we haven't talked about on the show that I think are extremely valuable and insightful and things that are not talked about often enough. I would also put in that category talking about sharing your experience with raising your son on the autism spectrum as well. So just thank you for being so open about everything and for being open to helping so many women. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. And I've so enjoyed this conversation with you. You and I have great energy match. So it's always fun. I know we do. I know. Next book, you have to come back again. Thank you so much for spending time with Andrea and me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I hope you learned a little. I hope you laughed a lot. I hope you could keep up with our fast talking. Remember that anything we mention, any links mentioned especially, will be over in the show notes at shamelessmom.com. So make sure to pop over there and check out anything else, especially if you want to connect with Andrea. Also remember that the next Shameless Mom Momentum Mastermind will be opening up shortly. I am just finishing putting all the details together this week. So if you want to get in on the early bird pricing for that, early bird enrollment, get in on the best pricing, best discount, definitely make sure you reach out to me at info at shamelessmom.com. I am compiling a great list. I've been getting so many emails about this. I'm very, very excited, but I'm putting together my interest list and my wait list for everyone who wants to get that information as soon as I release it. So if you want to participate in that group or just learn a little more about it, go ahead and email me at info at shamelessmom.com and I'll make sure I include you on the very first first emails that go out. All right. I know you learned a lot today. I hope you absorbed it all. If you didn't, make sure that you listen again. And also please share this episode out with someone who you think might learn a thing or two from Andrea and from me from today's episode. Loving all the sharing that's going on in the podcast, loving all the reviews. The show is just getting a lot of love and a lot of attention and it means the world to me. It helps the show grow and it helps me serve more mamas in more powerful ways. And that's what I'm here to do. So I appreciate all of your support. You can share this episode by taking a screenshot of it from your phone and then share and tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Instagram or Facebook. I will reply very quickly if you tag me. You can also get a link to this episode if you want to share it from its link from our site over at shamelessmom.com. Click on episode 194 to grab that link. And please do go over and rate and review the show. You can go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review to leave a quick review and just let me know what you thought. The funny thing that happens as the show gets bigger, I get more and more reviews, which is great, but people pop in and rate the show and some people don't give me five stars, which I know it's totally shocking and weird, right? So... I need as many five-star ratings and reviews as I can get just because I want to make sure that the show continues to be ranked really highly in iTunes so that I can be visible, the show can be visible to a lot of other mamas. So it's important that I continue getting that abundance of five-star reviews, which you have all been so generous in leaving, but I need to make sure that anytime I get those one or two, like three or four, I even have like one one one-star review, which I would really like to know who left that, please. Like grow a pair and send me an email. If it was you, please. So, but it's important that I keep the ratio nice and high. So if you haven't left a five-star review, go ahead and pop over to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That was my shameless review plug. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of the week. We will be back on Monday with another episode. You can subscribe to the show by going to Apple Podcasts at shamelessmom.com forward slash review. Click the subscribe button so you never miss an episode and you always get them as soon as they are released every Monday and Wednesday. I hope you have a fantastic rest of the week. And no matter what you do today, I hope you do it shamelessly. Hey. 
Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.